Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. Nick and I are recapping the breakout performance from rookie Teo Maladon, the Thunder's comeback performance over Phoenix last week, and as we kick off Black History Month, I've got a little bit of trivia for Nick to kick off the show. Let's get to it and you can play along with us. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. Well, we're recording this on February 2nd. It's a Tuesday. The Thunder just wrapped up its first game against the Rockets. The first of three straight miniseries the Thunder is going to play in this stretch of games. But Gallo, yesterday was also the first day of Black History Month, and we saw a lot of cool things happen on the floor. We heard from Coach Silas before the game about how he was trying to incorporate that with his team. But, Nick, I have a few Black History Month trivia questions. I just wanted to see okay. what, if you'll be able to answer these because I didn't know them, first of all. I hope that I perform almost as well as apparently the Houston Rockets players did when Steven <laughs> Silas quizzed them. So let's, let's see. Show well, me they're some- all NBA related. <laughs> okay, all right. They're all NBA okay. related and okay. you're basically an encyclopedia, so you should <laughs> be doing pretty good here. Okay, so what year were the first black players put into the NBA? 1950? Ding, ding, ding. Nice. Okay. Can you name one of the first black players in the NBA? I can name two. Earl Lloyd and Chuck Cooper. And I know that there was one other player. two more. Two more that started that year. Okay. Yeah. So you've also got Nat Clifton. Nat Clifton. Wheatwater Clifton. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And you've got Harold Hunter. Harold Hunter. Yeah, I should have remembered Sweetwater. I love how Michael Cage says the says Sweetwater Clifton. He's, he's <laughs> Sweetwater one of his, Clifton. It's one of his good ones. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, next question: Who was the first black player to be voted NBA MVP? Ooh. You'll know this answer. Bill Bill Russell. That is correct. Bill Russell. Yeah. That is okay. correct. Okay. He was also fun fact the first black head coach in the NBA. That, that's right. And he was a player coach, I believe. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. That's really stunning. I cannot imagine somebody being a player coach in this day and age. It is pretty impressive. Also, Oscar Robinson. I'm done asking questions now. I'm just throwing trivia facts out there. Okay. <laughs> but Oscar Robinson became the first black president of the NBPA. That's right. Robertson. Yes, Oscar Robinson. Robertson. Robertson. Is Robinson? Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, no. I am terrible for that. Oscar <laughs> Robertson. <laughs> Not to be confused with David Robinson. Very different players. I posted some triple doubles, I think. I think David Robinson had one or two. But his were always like with blocks. Exactly. The mailman. <laughs> yeah. He's the mailman, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. no. The mailman is Carl Malone. The admiral. No. David Robinson the is admiral. the admiral. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Paris, we gotta we gotta See, get you in a remedial. I'm the one asking the <laughs> trivia question. We got it. We gotta get you into. We're, me and Michael Cage, we're gonna sit you down. We're gonna have remedial NBA history for you. I know that you're only like 22 years old or whatever, well. but we got Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we gotta get you. We gotta get you into class. I'm so sorry. I apologize, to Oscar Robertson and Carl Malone, the mailman, all everybody. <laughs> Um, but all of these dates that were that I just listed were actually featured on the shooting shirts of the players on Monday night's game. They all wore shooting shirts that said built by black history. This is just a great way 
to incorporate this celebration into what we saw on the floor. Yeah, there was one other thing, Paris. I actually am going to turn this around on you. I've got a, a, a trivia question for you now. Oh, no. I was thinking about Steven Silas, the, the head coach of the Rockets, on the floor at the beginning of Black History Month. And it reminded me of a, a crucial moment in not only NBA history, but you know, black history in terms of freedom and liberation and financial freedom and the ability to decide where you wanted to play. And that was when free agency was agreed upon in the NBA. So my question to you is, who was the NBPA president and when was free agency agreed upon in the NBA? I can answer one of those questions. Okay. It was Paul Silas. That's right. Ooh. I don't know when, though. It was 1976. And to put that in perspective, just kind of show like the the history of the the fight that Oscar Robertson put forth. Um, It was almost a decade between when Oscar Robertson sued for free agency and when the the NBA actually you know agreed with the players' union on that deal in 1976. So pretty fascinating stuff. I, I thought it was cool that Steven Silas was in the building, that his father um, was the president of the NBPA during that time. So, you know, getting a chance to kind of be there and, and reflect on some of that history. Absolutely. And what a great way to kick off Black History Month, playing against Houston Rockets, a, a trailblazer, a son of a trailblazer on the sidelines. But also the Thunder itself has some pretty incredible Black History content coming out throughout the entire month of February. We'll be sure to keep you updated here on the Thunder Basketball Universe. But one of the first ones to come out will be a feature on HBCUs. And the Thunder, obviously in Oklahoma, has a pretty strong connection with Langston University, which is Oklahoma's only HBCU. And Nick and I actually had the opportunity to talk to the president of Langston University, Dr. Kent J. Smith. And here's a little snippet of that interview, and we'll have a full video coming out soon on OKCThunder.com. If you speak to a student or a graduate of a historically black college or university, I think the first thing they will tell you is that attending an HBCU affords an opportunity for them to get to know themselves better. Uh, from an African-American standpoint and the the historical constructs in a more detailed way that's not traditionally taught uh, in K-12 education. Well, last night against Houston, the Thunder kicked off the celebration on the floor. And before the game even started, we heard a beautiful performance from a 13-year-old. Her name was Janiah Holloway, and she performed Lift Every Voice and Sing. And I got goosebumps. Uh, it was it was a beautiful, beautiful way to kick off Black History Month. Um, Gallo, she performed that song outside at Sister Tail Park. And I imagine it was freezing cold. The wind was blowing, but she absolutely crushed it. Yeah, you know, watching it, I think that the elements made it even more powerful. You know, you could see her there yeah. kind of bracing herself against the wind. It was buffeting across the microphone a little bit, but she was powering uh, through it. And her voice was so powerful that it just overtook uh, the elements. So that was kind of cool. And it was beautifully shot there at Scissor Tail Park, just southwest of the arena. And really cool to see that. And awesome to, you know, have the players all standing there watching her sing just before the game tipped off the other night. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on. Still victory is won. 
Well, that was before last night's game inside Chesapeake Energy Arena against Houston. But the last time we spoke to you guys, it was right before the Thunder was going to tip off in Phoenix against the Suns. It was the last game of the long West Coast five-game road trip. And the Thunder also added back Al Horford into the roster, back into the lineup, after he had some time away to be with his family and his newborn daughter. And Nick, that was quite the performance to close out that five-game road trip. Just incredible professionalism by Al to keep himself, keep his body ready that whole time that he was back in Oklahoma City. I mean, it was almost two weeks, and yet Al came out, almost notched a, a season high in scoring, and was perfect from the three-point line, uh, did an, an exceptional job against DeAndre Ayton down low, holding him to five points. So Horford really did it all in that game. He sure did. And Gallo, you wrote an incredible article on this. It's called Preparation Poised, Horford's Return. You can find it on OKCThunder.com. But in that game, also, Al hit a pretty incredible milestone. He reached 12,000 career points, putting him in pretty exclusive company. He's now only one of eight active players to have 12,000 points and at least 1,000 blocks. It is just a model of consistency and obviously, we, we're seeing that consistency play out in real time with how he was able to just come back and pick up where he left off in Phoenix. You know what we're seeing, Paris, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later in the program. We're seeing all-star type stuff from Al Horford. He's a five-time all-star already. And, you know, he's not getting as many minutes as maybe he has in years past. I think that's something that the Thunder is doing intentionally so that they can continue to elongate his season make him effective throughout the course of the year and but if you look at his per 36 numbers Paris I mean he's shooting 44% from the field but 42% from three 16 and a half points 10 rebounds three and a half assists per 36 minutes that is really really effective for a big man and the the thing that coach Dagnall talks about so much and how and his teammates talk about as well is just his versatility <laughs> coupled with his consistency makes him such a great teammate and, and person to have on the floor with you. He obviously has the ability to stretch the floor, which we saw in Phoenix. He went five for five from the three point line. But he also, like we saw last night against Houston, has the ability to back down some defenders. He went up against Christian Wood and just absolutely went to work. And so we see his versatility play out on the floor, and it's really beneficial for the Thunder. He got off to a really hot start against Phoenix, which the Thunder needed because the team as a whole got off to a slow start. Meanwhile, Phoenix just came out of the gates blistering hot. I mean, they were shooting 54% from the three-point line, got out to a really early lead. The Thunder recalibrated in the game, which Coach Dagnall, is, it's always so important for this team to be able to learn on the fly and adjust and, and, and change and make adjustments in the game. That's exactly what the Thunder did in order to come back and chip away to win this game. Got some primetime performances from a variety of players. SGA was incredible. He really credited Horford for opening up the lane for him. Those pops really helped do a nice job of spacing the floor, forcing the defenses into making bad decisions, or having to make a decision at all, which then gives Shea multiple options there. I, I got to mention Lou Dort. He was yes. fantastic in that game. He just continues this run. He's drawn more offensive fouls against opponents this season than he did all of last year. And we're barely, we're not even 20 games into the season yet. So uh, that's very incredible. Last guy I got to mention, I think this would be a perfect way to uh, kind of transition us a little bit. Tao Maladon. What a job by him down in Phoenix to finish off that road trip. He got the start in place of an injured George Hill, knocked down a sweet 
three-pointer off of a behind-the-back pass from SGA. And then, Paris, you had to love this play. The hard-charging drive by the point guard, finishing up over Captain Planet himself, DeAndre Ayton. I swear that's what he looks like, Captain Planet. Captain Planet. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he just went right at the big man, finished off the glass uh, as a point guard. He, you know, Teo's maybe 6'2", 6'3", somewhere in that range. And no fear, late-game situation. As a point guard, what would you think about that play? It was a testament of confidence, but great decision-making. And we've seen that from Teo throughout the entire season, his ability to make great decisions. He's poised, mature with the basketball, has a high IQ. But where his teammates and his coaches have been really encouraging him is to be more aggressive. You, they want him to be able to grow and to be able to, you know, really expand his game. And sometimes the only way to do that is by being aggressive and, and putting yourself out there, taking a couple risks and maybe making a few mistakes here and there. But that play against DeAndre Ayton was a, a good decision, and it worked out as a, as a good form of aggression and assertiveness, playing with a little bit of force. That carried over very, very well into Teo's game against Brooklyn. The very next game, Coach – sorry, it was Shea after the game who said, the biggest thing with Teo is I just want him to be confident and be aggressive. And Teo delivered. The Thunder's really trying to kind of push Teo in the back a little bit in terms of speeding him up with aggression, assertiveness. That's totally normal for a rookie to be needing that little oomph and push. I think most rookies don't want to come in and dominate the ball or take a, a, a ton of shots and really be a high usage player. They want to get in where they fit in Paris. And so the fact that this team is encouraging him to take on more of a load, that's a really good sign. Well, it's a great opportunity too, right? Because how often do you get to come in as a rookie and then just kind of explore your game, just really, you know, grow and expand in critical minutes. Teo played in some critical late game minutes there for the Thunder and Phoenix when they were trying to win the game. And then that's a great opportunity now. Couple that with starting minutes alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander playing off the ball. Teo's a natural point guard. You now you have the opportunity to not only play off the ball, but play aggressively off the ball in critical game time plays. That's just a perfect mixture to be able to grow rapidly in kind of an expedited process. And now let's talk about Teo's big night against Brooklyn, where he just came out of the gates, missed only one shot. Yeah, he, he came and followed up that Phoenix performance with a career night, career high in minutes, uh, career high in scoring with 24 Went six of six from the three-point line. That's a rookie record. And one of the very few guys to hit those thresholds in terms of made three-pointers and points scored for a rookie in OKC history. So rarefied air for Teo, the fact that he did it all within the flow of the offense. You know, he wasn't hunting shots. He, he was not dominating the ball in any way. Very cool. Very good to see. And as you mentioned, Paris, these are opportunities for him to continue to round out his experiences. He's getting a catalog for the league. He's getting an understanding of what it means to be a lead point guard in this league, to be running a second unit. But in his career, it is inevitable that he is going to be playing alongside another big time ball handler and creator. So he better get used to playing that way now. And so the Thunder thrusting him into that role with George Hill out is a perfect way for him to learn about that right now. And against Brooklyn, Teo had to go up against some of the league's best of the best. You've got James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant was out in that game, but you still had a wide variety of backcourt firepower. And in this game, Gallo, if you remember, obviously the Thunder 
fell in that game, but it wasn't the offense that was struggling for the Thunder. The Thunder put up still uh, 125 points while the Nets put up 147, but the Thunder still shot 42% from the field. They were really getting the looks that they wanted, and Teo was able to play within that, like you're mentioning. Yeah, the the thing for the Thunder to focus on now, and they've admitted as such, so I'm not breaking news here, is the defense. The last two games against Brooklyn and Houston have not been up to par defensively the way they want to. They gave up 48 points in the first quarter to Houston. That's not going to get the job done. Typically, if you're giving up more than 30 in, in the first quarter, you're going to have a hard time quelling those opponents. We've talked to players, Paris, about how much more difficult it is to string multiple stops together after you've let a team get hot. You know, you might be able to get a stop or two in a row, but beyond that, when a team is feeling it, when they're in rhythm, getting more than two or two or three stops in a row is very, very difficult. And this marks the third straight game where the Thunder hasn't come out of the gates like they wanted to come and really set the tone for the game. So you can imagine practice today for the Thunder and really a big topic of discussion going into the second game against Houston, a, a second crack at the same opponent, is to be able to come out of the gates with that energy and intensity that they've been looking for over these past three games. Before the Thunder's game against Houston last night, Thunder head coach Mark Dagnall gave us a little bit of an update regarding some of the players on the Thunder roster. Alexei Pokashevsky, Josh Hall, Moses Brown, and Ty Jerome will all be traveling down to Orlando to play in the G League bubble, which will kick off on February 11th. Gallo, what an incredible opportunity for these guys to be able to get these consistent, valuable minutes in an environment that really is a replica of what they have here in Oklahoma City. You look at Josh Hall and Moses Brown, those guys are getting spot minutes right now, really at the end of games. This will be a chance for consistent rotation minutes. Ty Jerome, he's in a return to play scenario. So you want to try to build up kind of that stamina, that ability to just get out on the floor and play loose, get the body working back the way it should be. For Poku, this is a chance to throw him into a totally different environment and just see how he does. He's gotten a chance to be in a rotation playing 18 minutes a game, 17 to 20 minutes a game. That's great. Long-term though, what the Thunder hopes that he is, is not a guy that's playing 17 to 20 minutes with his playmaking skills, with his size, with his ball handling ability. They want to explore and see just how far they can push his game. So getting him the opportunity to play with the blue after giving him this baseline understanding of some of the key habits, some of the key fundamentals that are expected of a Thunder player, now he's getting the opportunity to go to the blue, play in the G League bubble, and really expand his game. Let's test out all of these different areas, flex some of these muscles. I love what Coach Dagnall said about this, because he said the same thing about Teo, where one of the best ways in, to grow a player and to expand their game is to change their environment change their circumstances, throw a few variables their way. And for Teo, that meant throwing him into the starting lineup while George Hill was out. And we're seeing him kind of morph before our eyes. For Poku, that means sending him to a completely different place with a new uh, roster and lineup and allowing him to play, like you said, outside of his traditional role that he played for the Thunder. So this is just should be a great opportunity for these guys, Poku especially. And Coach Dagnalt and the coaching staff will be watching every single game. Coach Dagnalt assured everybody that whether it's 
it's live or on replay, they'll be connected with the blue every single game. FaceTiming and texting guys after games, they really are connected, the blue and the thunder, in everything that they do. By the way, this is uh, something related to Poku that's been in the works for a very long time, since Mm -hmm. basically when he was drafted, that this was sort of on the horizon. They didn't know whether a G League bubble would necessarily happen, but that is going to be a Petri dish type environment for growth and cultivation because there's no travel. You get to play some of the same opponents over and over again. The coaching staff is going to have full on access in that bubble to Poku, to all of these other players to be able to consistently match game to game. Here's what we did. Here's a stride forward that we can take. And we saw last summer with the NBA bubble, how this is really a glorified basketball camp of sorts, you know, it is really basketball in a vacuum. So it's a great opportunity to just grow and focus, hone in your attention on what's happening on the floor and your growth off the floor as well. So really look forward to these guys and and the progress that they're going to be able to make down in Orlando. There will still be a few guys left in Oklahoma City. Don't you worry about that. There will still be some really fun basketball for the Thunder to be played. A couple of guys to keep your eye on. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Al Horford. Two contenders from the Thunder for this year's All-Star team. And don't forget, guys, double voting day is today, as well as February 6th, February 13th, and February 16th as well. Yeah, five double voting days. Today is the second of the five. This is not that complicated. Your votes count for double on these days. So get get the job done, Thunder fans. Send SGA and Horford to the All-Star game that may or may not be happening. That is still in the works, Paris. So I know that there's some negotiating that's still going on, making sure that there's a location. And um, there's a lot of hurdles that needed to be cleared, obviously, in a pandemic situation to figure out, can there actually be some sort of All-Star game if Horford makes it? It would be his sixth for his career, SGA, looking for his first all-star nod. And I got to tell you, the numbers look good for Shea. 21, almost 22 points a game, six and a half assists, five and a half rebounds, shooting over 50% for a guard that's unbelievable, and about 38% from the three-point line, getting to the free throw line over six times a game. Those are all metrics, especially when you're considering that he is the lead playmaker. All eyes are on him every single night for opposing defenses that are scouting the Thunder. That is really impressive stuff. And the biggest thing of all, fun to watch. That's the, the entertainment factor cannot be understated here. Shay and Al, Shay in particular, just the craftiness and his ability to just get to the rim. And Al, the consistency, he can do it all versatile as, as, a, as a big man in this league. So I've been waiting to say this. These guys are so nice. Got to vote for him twice. Double vote day today. I was just thinking about this, Paris. If they had horsed in the skills challenge, would you take anyone besides Shea? I mean, the circus shots that that guy hits, I would want no part in trying to follow up the, especially if you had to do like step for step shots that yeah. Shea makes, the wrong legged floaters, the swooping lefty flipping layups the one that he didn't even mean to make that went up <laughs> off the, the glass. <laughs> I was thinking of that exact one. Like, I don't, yeah. Somehow the ball just mysteriously falls through the rim. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a tough one to play horse against. Definitely. That's, that arsenal is, is tough. Ridiculous.
Before we sign off, I feel like this is a really good time to talk about Super Bowl Sunday that's coming up. Gallo, we won't have a podcast before then, so I got to ask you, what are your plans? Obviously, things are going to look a little bit different this year, but what do you have? What do you have on the docket? Well, the Thunder comes off a pair of home games against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday and Saturday, so that means the team will be off on Sunday. So I'm going to have myself a nice little Sunday. Me and my wife, Maddie, our daughter, Camelia, she's about to be four months old. I can't believe that. So we're going to hang out. We're going to do our thing. We're going to have, you know, bath time. We're going to read a little book. We're going to put her to bed. And then we're going to hang out on the couch and try not to fall asleep before halftime. <laughs> I think that's basically the plan right now. So very different Super Bowl than, than years past, uh, obviously, with covid and not traveling we've had some some strange super bowls over the years what are you what are you gonna do well i was thinking to myself i did just get a new air fryer so maybe now's the time to test out like a little little wing recipe turn on the game have some wings you know just enjoy a nice off sunday i think that would i think that that sounds like my plan right now it's penciled in it's penciled i might i might be doing a little drive-by to to (laughs) snag a couple wings that that sounds excellent yeah uh, but, you know, I was thinking about not traveling on the Super Bowl, and that's been sort of rare, actually. It's kind of hit or miss whether we're actually in town in Oklahoma City to have a more normal Super Bowl. I remember once we were actually in San Francisco for the Super Bowl when it was being played there. Uh, we, let's see, were in the air flying back from Boston during a Super Bowl. So that was unique, uh, watching the game with all 50 of us at the traveling party on our laptops, trying to stream the game all at the same time. It was once where we flew in to Indianapolis just in time to catch the Patriots comeback against the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl when the Falcons were up 28 to three. Remember uh, Matt Tumbleson, the the Thunder's vice president of uh, basketball communications, and I we, we rushed out to to a restaurant to go try to find any TV where they were uh, showing the game that we could get to as quickly as possible after the bus arrived at the hotel. So that was a lot of fun and just a whirlwind to catch that comeback in sort of a strange place with people that we didn't know, and it was just a, a few of us there hanging out watching that Super Bowl. Just think, Gallo, you'll actually be able to watch the game in its entirety this wow. Sunday. Wow. I feel very fortunate. <laughs> Might be the last time, but hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll who take knows? it. <laughs> That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producer. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thunder Basketball Universe podcast. Here's a little bonus NBA and Black History Month trivia. Out of the black players we mentioned first to get into the league, who was the first drafted out of those? Earl Watson. Earl Lloyd. Earl Watson played for the Thunder, Paris. <laughs> that was my reverse trivia back to you. <laughs> he was the first to play. The uh, first one drafted was Chuck first- Chuck Cooper was drafted. Okay, Earl Lloyd was the first to actually play. Yes. Ah. Okay. And uh, where did Sweetwater get his nickname? Well, I know nothing, but I'm guessing he was from Georgia.
because there's a whole, there's a Sweetwater Brewing Company in Georgia. No. So that's my guess. you knowing stuff. Okay, where did he get it from? Uh, he liked soft drinks. Oh, and that's what they called it? They called it Sweetwater back then? Yes. Wow. That's so good that's stuff. <laughs> that is good. Our producer, Matt Bishop, coming wow. through <laughs> with some great trivia. That is, that is nice stuff. I'm going to try to stump Chris Fisher and Michael Cage on Wednesday. That'll be good. That's so good. Yeah. 